Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary PSL. Please join our lead pastor, Mike Wiggins, for the message, Honor. All right, so in this powerful letter, uh, Peter made some really significant statements. One of them that absolutely jumped off the page at me this week. How many of you guys, sometimes when you're having your devotions, something just jumps off the page? That ever happened? That happened to me this week. And what jumped off the page can be found in verse 15. Peter said this. He said, in your hearts, honor. Can you guys say the word honor? Honor, honor Christ the Lord as holy. And so after following Jesus for the better part of three years, after um, hearing the truth of his messages, truth which was authenticated by Jesus' um, incredible miracles, and then most important of all, we'll celebrate it in a few weeks, after seeing Jesus alive from the dead, Peter told us, hey everybody, in our hearts, we really need to honor Christ the Lord as holy. Now regarding the definition, the meaning of the word honor, I wanna just give you a short summary of a rather long definition which can be found in blue letter Bible. The Greek word is hagazio. Some of your translations says sanctify, um, but ESV, it's honor. And the definition is in two parts. Part number one, to acknowledge as venerable or hallowed, Right, hallowed is an important word. You probably recognize it from the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Right, okay, and so it's amazing to me how many people say that prayer for years. They don't even know what the word means. It literally means we honor you, Father. We set you apart. We honor you, we worship you. So point number one, to acknowledge as venerable or hallowed. But then number two, to separate from profane things and be dedicated to God. All right, so regarding the first definition, the word is used in reference to the Lord. Specifically, in this context, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ should be venerated or hallowed. In other words, Christ should be worshiped and he should be honored as the Son of God. Our Father, hallowed be your name, but also Son of God, hallowed be your name, and for that matter, Holy Spirit, hallowed be your name as well, one God, three persons. Now regarding the second uh, definition, the second part of the definition, well, that part, that word, is used in reference to Christians, all right? So as Christ followers, we should absolutely be separate from profane things, and we should be dedicated to God. In other words, we need to be living in an honorable way. All right, so that leads us to our question and answer of the day. Question, how do we honor Christ? Answer, by living in an honorable way. That's the best way, because how many of you guys know it's not enough to just talk the talk, we need to walk the walk. Nobody's ever gonna take us seriously, ladies and gentlemen, if all we ever do is just talk, 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 talk. Our walk needs to match our talk, otherwise we're gonna be dismissed as hypocrites. And so we need to get this right today. We need to live in an honorable way. Honoring Christ by living in an honorable way is what our text is all about today. So if you're looking at 1 Peter 3, verse eight, can you say amen? Finally, Peter says, in the Greek, to sum it up, all of you, none of you are exempt, 
have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Now that verse is packed full with practical principles for the Christian life. We're gonna take it word by word. We're gonna spend most of our time in verse eight today. We'll hit the accelerator in verses nine through 17. But look at the first part of verse eight again. Finally, all of you, nobody's exempt, have unity of mind. All right, so what are we doing this afternoon? We're talking about honoring Christ by living honorably. What does that mean? If you're taking points, number one, it means be unified in mind. What is Peter trying to get across to the Christian community? He's trying to say, hey, everybody, be of one mind. Now, most people don't have an issue with having one mind and thinking the same way about things as others as long as everybody thinks the way they think, right? But whose mind should we all conform to? You can answer out loud. Should we conform to the mind of man or the mind of Christ? Christ. Well, guess what, everybody? This is the mind of God right here. We got it. There's no confusion. There's no ambiguity. There's no cloudiness. This book right here is the revelation of what God thinks about things like creation and marriage and gender roles and sexuality and parenting and the sanctity of life and righteousness and sin and judgment. And, and repentance, right, and faith, and heaven, and hell, and a hundred other things right here. There's no confusion. We got the mind of God in these 66 books. That's important that we have one mind based on the word of God because we're all so different. And we are all very diverse. We're all very different. We have different ages, different personalities, different cultural backgrounds, different educational levels, different career fields, different gifts and talents and hobbies, et cetera, et cetera. But as Christians, guess what? We have this in common right here. The inerrant, we're talking about the original manuscripts, the inerrant, infallible, inspired word of God. I call it the love letter from heaven the guidebook of life. We don't, we don't have to be in the dark. We have the light of God's word. But the Bible isn't the only thing that we have in common as Christians. I want you to see what Paul has to say about some other things that we have in common from Ephesians chapter four. He says, be eager to maintain, can you guys shout out the next two words, please? The unity, there, there it is, the unity. The unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now, look at what we have in common here. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. <laughs> That's such an amazing passage of scripture. And so as Christians, right, we're all so different, but what do we have in common? Here's what we have in common. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who's over all, through all, and in all of us. 
And so even though we're all so very different, we have all these precious things in common. And when we come together and we have one mind about things based on the word of God, we play beautiful music. It's kind of like, it's kind of like an orchestra, right? And so even though the, the members of the orchestra play different instruments, when they keep their focus on two things, their sheet music and their conductor, even though they're all different, even though they're all playing different instruments, man, they make beautiful music. And so likewise, even though the members of the church are so different, when we keep our focus on two things, what's that? The sheet music of the scripture and the conductor, his name is Jesus Christ, we can have one mind and we play beautiful music as well. So this is what we gotta do. This is the game plan. Here's what we do. We focus on the scriptures and the savior, the written word and the living word. And we all of a sudden, even though we're so diverse, we have this amazing unity. He says in verse eight, finally, to sum it all up, all of you, nobody's excluded, have unity of mind. And then the next word he uses here, translated um, into the ESV, is sympathy, all right? And so what are we talking about today? We're talking about honoring Christ, right, by living in an honorable way, which means, point number two, be sympathetic. Now that word, most of you, all of you know the definition. Sympathy simply means to share the same feelings with another. And so the classic verse in the New Testament about sympathy is from the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 12 and verse 15. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Show sympathy. And so here's the question, all of us, what do we do when we read the Bible? We just read words? No, we take spiritual inventory. And so I wanna ask you today, do you rejoice with those who rejoice genuinely? In other words, when someone is blessed, are you happy for them or are you jealous? So if you're single, right, and you really want, you've been waiting seemingly forever for Mr. Wright to come along and he hasn't come along yet, and all your single friends, one by one, keep getting engaged, and yet another single friend comes to you all excited with her uh, new ring. Oh, look, can you believe it? How do you respond? Are you like, oh, good for you, right? As you die inside. Or maybe you have a friend and the friend comes to you all excited. I can't believe it. Man, my rich aunt died, I hardly even knew her. She left me 100,000 bucks. And you're like, great. Right, as you're thinking, what about me? Something never happens to me, okay? So if we're truly sympathetic, we should be able to rejoice with those who rejoice genuinely. Can you guys say the word genuinely? This is what Christians need. Forget the act. Stop putting on an act. We gotta be genuine and rejoice with those who rejoice from the heart. 
and weep with those who weep. And so if someone is struggling, they're going through a difficult time, do you take the time to encourage them, to come around them, to spend time with them, to say something like, oh, I am so sorry that you're going through this. It's gotta be so hard. You wanna talk about it? Can I pray for you? What are you doing? You're obeying Romans 12, 15. You're weeping with those who weep. I like the Swedish proverb. It's not in the Bible, but it's still good. Shared joy is double joy. Shared sorrow is half a sorrow. Okay, so what does that mean? That means that if somebody comes to you and shares with you the joy of how they've been blessed, they rejoice, you rejoice, one plus one equals two, and now there's double joy. And if somebody comes to you with a difficulty and they're sad and you come around them and you minister to them and you pray for them, well, guess what? Now, all of a sudden, their sorrow becomes half as heavy because you are helping them carry it. This is what Christians do. Why? Because we're family. That's why. And so it says in verse eight, finally, to sum it all up, all of you, nobody's excluded, have unity of mind, sympathy, and now Peter says, under the inspiration of the Spirit, Brotherly love, a tender heart. So we're talking about honoring Christ by living honorable lives, which means, next point, that we need to be loving and tender-hearted. So you see that I combined the two words there um, in the sentence there in verse eight because they're similar in meaning. Basically what Peter is saying is I want you to have brotherly love and I want you to be compassionate toward one another. In fact, the Greek word for brotherly love here in verse eight is the, the word Philadelphus, from where the city of Philadelphia gets its name. Anybody from Philadelphia? Yeah, got some people. Some, and so you know it's the city of what? A brotherly love. And so that's the word um, right here. And so as Christians, why should we love each other as brothers and sisters? Well, here's a good reason why. Because we're family. <laughs> and so, John 1:12, as many as received Christ, to them he gave the right to become children of God. If you've received Christ, you're a child of God. If I've received Christ, I'm a child of God. What does that make us? Spiritual siblings. It makes us family, so we ought to act like it. And the best example that I can find of a church that was a family is our model church, I don't know if you knew this, if you're new to Calvary, you probably didn't, our model church is the Acts 2, 42 through 47 church, the first century church, the early church, um, and they did a great job being a family. So I want you to check out what Luke has to say about this church. So day of Pentecost, 3,000 people get saved, added to the 120 who were up in the upper room earlier, now you got a church of 3,120 people. The church is born, what did they do? They devoted, no casual Christianity. Ladies and gentlemen, please hear me. If spiritual apathy is creeping into your heart and life and you're getting cold towards the Lord, go home today, get in your closet, fall on your knees and beg God to do whatever it takes for you not to become spiritually apathetic. Just do that. Don't give in to spiritual apathy. Don't give in to casual Christianity. They, our model church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's what we're doing now. 
and the fellowship, koinonia, that's community, doing life together, to the breaking of bread, that's probably communion, and to the prayers. It goes on to say that these brothers and sisters in Christ showed their love primarily in two ways. As you read verses 43 through the rest of the chapter, here's what they were doing. Number one, they were actually meeting each other's needs voluntarily, that's important. And so as they're in community together, right, as they're hanging out with each other, there's needs that are coming up, and so they're voluntarily saying, I'm gonna do something about that. And by the way, quick note, not in the notes, I'll share it anyway, um, but you know, some people have accused the early church in Acts 2, 42 through 47, as being an example of communism. That's a joke, right? Listen, there's a big difference. There's an ocean of difference between communism and Christianity. What's the difference? Communism is forced. Christianity is voluntary. Communism says, what's yours is mine and you're gonna give it to me. Christianity says, hey man, what's mine is yours and it's voluntary. Big, big difference there and so don't, don't listen to everything you read, okay? Certainly don't listen to everything that you Google. Please don't get your theology by Googling. Um, that's, that'll lead you down a dark road. But these people voluntarily took care of each other's needs, and the second thing they did is they spent time with each other in their homes. And what was the result? Verse 47 says this at the end of the chapter. We're gonna put Acts 2:47 on the screen. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What did the Lord do? He blessed this church, why? Because they were a family. They were living life together, they were in community together, and the result was they couldn't keep people away. They keep, people just kept coming. Please hear this, if you're with me now, say amen. People are not attracted by religion, they're attracted by love. And if we can get this right, and repent of our spiritual apathy and really love each other, we will not be able to keep the people away. And this is why it's important for our church to not just sit in rows, but to also get into circles. Why, why is this important? Well here's why, because circles equals community, and that equals Philadelphia's brotherly, sisterly love. Why? Because it's hard to get to know somebody by looking at the back of their head, right? Now there's nothing wrong with the weekend services. In fact, I would go so far as to say that our weekend services are essential, and yes, I did use that particular word on purpose. What we're doing right here, in everything in society, this is essential. The worship of God corporately. Can we thank our worship team for an amazing time of worship today? Praise God for them, right? That's essential, and praise is a weapon. Man, when you're feeling the presence of the Holy Spirit, it's really hard to have strongholds taking hold of you. And not only that, but the teaching of the Word of God is essential, but it can't end there, because that's not where it ended with the early church. If we wanna really, at Calvary PSL, be blessed like the early church, what do we need to do? We need to get into circles, get into community, and show brotherly and sisterly love towards each other. And when that happens, we won't be able to keep the people away. 
And so I said all that to say this, if you wanna join one of our groups, you go to calvarypsl.com, you click on next steps, and you go down to find a group. Now we're recovering from COVID. COVID absolutely gave a sucker punch to all churches across the world. And so we don't have as many groups as we used to have, but we are rebuilding right now. And so if you, would, if you have any questions about um, groups, uh, Pastor Matt, go ahead and stand up. This is our group's pastor, Pastor Matt Messiano. All right, so if you have a question about groups, see Pastor Matt. If you wanna lead a group, please see Pastor Matt. Uh, we're rebuilding our groups, and it's so important that we have more groups because here's what's happening. More and more people are coming back. We had a lot of people here last night for Saturday night, and so people are coming back. They're feeling more comfortable. We gotta get into circles as the people are coming back. Maybe God's speaking to your heart. Talk to Pastor Matt. First step, um, or second step after you talk to Pastor Matt is please go to Discover Calvary. That's where everything begins. All right, verse eight. Finally, to sum it all up, all of you, nobody's exempt, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. All right, so we're talking about honoring Christ by living in an honorable way, which means, next point, we gotta be humble. Now, now here, here's what you need to know. The Bible says God resists the proud. and he gives grace to the humble. And so if you want God to resist you, just keep with your prideful attitude. But if you want the wind of the Holy Spirit at your back, be humble. The word humble has to do with having a deep sense of humility. It's very close to the word meek. I want you to see what Jesus had to say about this term meekness. In the Beatitudes, have you read them lately? They're absolutely awesome. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I want you to notice that Jesus did not say, blessed are the weak. He said, blessed are the meek. Someone said it, it wasn't me, I don't know where it came from, it's a great statement. Meekness is not weakness, it's power under control. I'll say it again, meekness is not weakness, it's strength, it's power under control, like a beautiful thoroughbred. Ladies and gentlemen, is there anything weak about that animal? <laughs> no. In fact, that makes me wanna go home and go horseback riding right now. That animal is awesome, that animal is so valuable, right, so powerful, but there's a problem. He's running wild, and so he needs to be trained, right? And so what does the cowboy do? The cowboy goes and he lassos that thing and he brings him into the corral and he breaks him in. And the next thing you know, now all of a sudden, instead of the horse running wild and doing whatever the horse wants to do and being a big rebel, this horse is meek. He's yielding to his master's will. I got a question for you, is that animal any less awesome? Is that animal any less valuable? No, he's not weak, he's meek. What does that mean? That means when the master pulls left, he goes left. When the master pulls right, he goes right. Still an awesome animal. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to get this point. 
What does it mean to be meek? Does it mean that we have to confess that we're worthless? So many people misunderstand this biblically, and I wanna set the record straight, right? So many people have this false sense of humility. I'm a worm, I'm a nobody, I'm worthless. Let me tell you something, there is nothing in this book that says that, nothing at all. Now it's true that we're unworthy. (laughs) Unworthy, yeah. (laughs) Worthless, no. We're all unworthy. What does that mean? We're all sinners. That's why we need a savior. But none of us are worthless. Why? Because we're made in the image of God. In fact, we have infinitely, infinitely more value than that beautiful thoroughbred that was on the screen earlier. Why? Because that's a horse. We're human beings. <laughs> We've been made in the, in the image of God. And so listen to me. Every single human being taking breath in their lungs across the world, I don't care what they believe or who they are, they are priceless because they're made in the image of God. That's how we treat one another. Don't you look down your nose at somebody else thinking you're better. God resists the proud, he gives grace to the humble. We're made in the image of God. Unworthy, yeah. Worthless, no. We're priceless, and as Christians, wow, 1 Peter 2, 9, we're a chosen race, we're a royal priesthood, we're a holy nation, and we are God's own special possession, we're his kids. We're not worthless, we're priceless, and we don't have to become weak with this false sense of humility, that's how I'm defining weak here. It has nothing to do with 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 12, when I'm weak, um, that I'm strong is totally different teaching. I'm saying weakness, meaning uh, you know this this false sense of humility. I'm worthless. I'm a nobody. I'm a worm. No, we shouldn't become weak in that sense, but we should become meek, like a beautiful thoroughbred. What does that mean? That means we need to be broken, we need to be yielded, and we need to be useful to our master, the Lord Jesus Christ so that when he pulls the rein left, we go left. When he pulls the rein right, he goes right. And there, that way, he doesn't have to use that spur on the back of his boot and kick us when we're not doing what he says. Just be meek. But God loves you, and parents, please teach your kids that they are priceless. Look at verse nine. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless. (laughs) Can you guys say the word bless, please? For For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Whoever desires to love life and see good days. Does anybody here want to love life and see good days? Of course, we all do. Okay, so here's what we do. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. It's called the fruit of repentance. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Why? Because there's somebody watching. Verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. All right, so we're talking about honoring Christ by living in an honorable way, which means, next point, Here's a summary of verses nine through 12. Can you guys tell 
this week I was running out of time in my message. So I just summarized these verses. Maybe you heard your mama tell you this when you were a kid. Be good. <laughs> just be good. Of all the people in the world, Christians should be good. I'm not talking about being good to earn your way to heaven. That's a false gospel. We're not talking about how to go to heaven. We're talking about how to live as Christians. And in the context of this passage, being good has to do, verse nine, with not repaying evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But instead of that, end of verse nine, what do we do for those who are opposing us? We bless them. What does the word blessed mean? Speak well of them. This is a great principle for social media and for Facebook. Not evil for evil, not reviling for reviling. They oppose you, you speak well of them. You bless them, I can't do it. Then please delete your Facebook. Now I wanna, I wanna think about this in terms of Jesus' arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane and by the way, this is very, very, very rich, rich teaching right here. So please focus in the next five minutes as we go through these three points. But we're talking about the Garden of Gethsemane. We're talking about Jesus's arrest. Now, when the soldiers came into the Garden of Gethsemane looking for Jesus, what were they carrying? They're carrying swords, they're carrying clubs, and they were carrying torches as they're looking for Jesus. But here's the thing, when someone returns evil for evil, they show that they're being influenced by a human nature. Why do you say that? Because of Peter's response. What did Peter do when those guys came in? He pulled out his sword, right? He went after a guy named Malchus, the high priest's servant, and he swung. I'm sure he was trying to kill him, but he's a fisherman, not a swordsman. He missed, and he cut off the guy's right ear. Right? Peter's attitude was, you're coming for us, I'm coming for you. What did he do? Well, what all humans do, they return evil for evil or good for good, right? That's just being influenced by your human nature. But number two, if you return evil for good, well, then that person's being influenced by a hellish nature. See, same night, same garden, what did Judas do to Jesus Christ that night? What did Judas do to good, goodness incarnate, so to speak? God incarnate, the one who was pure good, the one that Judas saw give sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, and the ability to walk to lame people, and healing count, countless people. How did Judas respond to this goodness? He betrayed the Son of Man with a kiss, stabbed him in the back, What did Judas show that night? That he was being influenced by a hellish nature. In other words, the devil. The devil was controlling Judas that night. The devil, who by the way, used to be Lucifer, the perfect angel, who was created perfect, who was surrounded by nothing but God's goodness and God's beauty. And yet, how did he repay God? He rebelled. He returned evil for good, that's why he got the boot. But number three, when someone returns good for evil, 
then they show that they're being influenced by the highest nature. Of course, the highest nature is the divine nature, the very nature that the Son of God possessed. And so you guys remember after Peter cut off the guy's ear? What did Jesus do? You remember this. He healed him. How did he respond to his enemy? With love. Jesus Christ said, stop it. All who live by the sword are gonna die by the sword. And he healed the guy. Now if you consider yourself a Christian, say amen. Okay, so we're Christ's followers, right? That's what the word means. So we should be the same. Jesus left us an example. Matthew 5, love your enemies. So as you look at these three principles, you guys can shout out the number, okay? Which one should Christians camp out on? Three. Yeah, very good, students. I think I heard 10 of you. <laughs> and I think there's 250 or so here. We're gonna try that again. Is the class with me today? All right, so what number should we all camp out on as Christians? Three, right? Why? Because Christ lives in us. So we should follow his nature. He's in us, so we follow Jesus and his highest nature, and we consistently, with the help of the Holy Spirit, return good for evil. I'm guaranteeing you that this right here would solve crime in America. Right? You can't get more practical than that. Just follow the Lord. And in and of ourselves, we cannot do it. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. So we got to be meek and we got to yield to the Holy Spirit as he's leading us in our lives. Okay, look at verse 13. He says, now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? In other words, as you follow the flow of the text here, hey, if you're unified in mind, if you're sympathetic and loving and tenderhearted and humble and good, who in the world is gonna come after you? Not many people. But there are always Judases in our lives, which is why he said in verse 14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you'll be blessed. So have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, main text, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense, apologia, to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it, not with pride and arrogance, like you know so much and they're so you know, dumb and why are you so thick-headed, you're not getting Christianity. No, don't go there. He says, make a defense with gentleness and respect. All right, so we're calling we're being called to honor Christ by living in an honorable way, which means, next point, bottom of the screen, we need to be prepared, be ready to make a defense. Now, as these character traits are pouring out of our lives, what does that mean? Unity, sympathy, love, brotherly love, tender hearts, humble, being humble, being good, like, like the sun, right, coming, bursting through the clouds. So, so, so these character traits, Christ and his nature coming out of us. Listen, after that happens for a while, people are gonna notice. Your coworkers, your family, your friends, as you and I are growing in Christ and this stuff's coming out of us, they're gonna notice and people are gonna start to wonder 
why, why is she so different? Why is he so different? How in the world are they responding with good to evil? And some of them may even ask you for a reason, for the hope that is inside of you. And when that happens, ladies and gentlemen, whether it happens or not, um, you gotta be ready, I gotta be ready to make a defense, to give an answer for what is going on inside of us. The Greek word translated defense is apologia, from where we get the term apologetics, which means a defense for the Christian faith. How many of you guys were here uh, for the last first Thursday gathering that we had back on March 4th? Let me see your hands, yeah, a few of you. And so you guys know, uh, Pastor Ethan, he did a whole sermon on this. He did an absolute superb job defending the Christian faith. His message was called simply a defense. And so what did Pastor Ethan do that night? He made logical arguments from natural revelation, specifically the cosmological argument, and from that he made logical um, um, deductions from the data proving, listen to this, that historic Christianity is absolutely and uniquely true. That's a big deal. There's only one faith that's right in the world. You say that's so narrow-minded. Hey, it's true. Because if you have one faith that's saying a set of things and other religions are denying those things, somebody's right, somebody's wrong, somebody's true, somebody's false. And so he did an absolutely wonderful job that night. If you wanna hear it, uh, just go to our website, calvarypsl.com, click on sermons, click on stories and devos. You can access his message, a defense, on March the 4th. Now, I want everybody who really wants to understand and get better at making a defense for the Christian faith to get your phone cameras ready, okay? So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna give you guys some great tools for your tool bag to help you become equipped to make a defense for the Christian faith. And so if you got your phone cameras ready and you wanna take, take some pictures of the screen, I'm gonna put some tools up here. All right, three websites. You knew I was gonna Recommend the first one, right? I've been doing it for years. So gotquestions.org. They are now up to almost 650,000 questions answered on this website. And I've read a lot of the answers. I agree with 95 or so percent. And so Michael Hoodman and his team have done an amazing job. It's a trusted resource, gotquestions.org. And then alwaysbeready.com. This is a fellow Calvary Chapel pastor. His name is Charlie Campbell, and uh, he's an apologist, and he does a really good job as well. So gotquestions.org, alwaysbeready.com. We're talking about apologetics, and so we can't leave out crossexamined.org. And this is apologist Frank Turek. He's edgy, <laughs> does a really good job on his website as well. So those three websites, I'll leave it there for just three, two, one, all right, now three books that'll help you. Um, number one, Mere Christianity. If, if you have read C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, please raise your hand, yeah, because I think one of the best ever. So, so what he did, this guy was an Oxford scholar, and he gave a series of lectures during World War II over the BBC radio and they put it into a book. And so one of the best ever, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. One of the classics, More Than a Carpenter by Josh McDowell. And then, uh, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. 
That's written by Norman Geisler, who's in heaven now. He was the president of the seminary that I attend, and he co-wrote the book with Dr. Frank Turek. And so mere Christianity, more than a carpenter, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Three, two, one, a podcast that I would encourage you guys to listen to is I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist by Frank Turek. Two weeks ago, he did a podcast dedicated to the subject of Ravi Zacharias. And I gotta say, it's the best podcast I've ever heard about what in the world does the church do when a trusted leader falls. It was just phenomenal, gold. Okay, so I don't have enough faith to be an atheist by Frank Turek. I'm recommending these resources, not because I agree with 100% of everything these men have ever said. I do agree with the vast majority of what they have said, and so I feel confident recommending them. All right, last two verses and we're done. Stay with me all the way to the end, all right? So verse 16, it says, having a good conscience so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Verse 17, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will. You guys see, sometimes it's God's will to suffer. If you do say amen, it's not all health, wealth, and prosperity. <laughs> for it's better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. We've been talking about honoring Christ by living in an honorable way. What does that mean? Last point, we need to be conscientious. Now when I think about the word conscientious, I think about Martin Luther, the great reformer. Because here's a guy, ladies and gentlemen, whose conscience was crucially connected to the teachings of the word of God. And so the Roman Catholic Church was teaching things that were contrary to scripture, they were selling indulgences to increase the church's revenue. And so one of their own, an Augustinian monk, a priest named Martin Luther, he decided, I'm gonna speak up. And thank God that he did. Listen to this. There was a guy named John Tetzel in those days, and he was going around from town to town, church to church, and you know what he was saying to people? Hey, there's more than just heaven and hell. There's a place called purgatory. And your loved ones who died, they're there now and they're suffering. And if you wanna know a way to, get your, to help get your loved ones out of purgatory, here's what you need to do. It's reported that this was his saying, and I quote John Tetzel. As soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. In other words, go back to that tithe box and give some money, and when your coins go cling, cling, then that soul is gonna be released from purgatory. If that doesn't get you mad, I don't know what in the world is gonna get you mad. It made Martin Luther furious. So on October 31st, 1517, he nailed 95 theses to the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. On that day, we just celebrated the 500th anniversary of that back in 2017. But on that day, Martin Luther made a protest, which is why many of us go by the term Protestant. He made a protest against the false teachings of the church, and that led to his excommunication on January 3rd, 1521. 
In April of that same year, he was summoned to the Diet of Worms. Okay, what does that mean? Diet means a legislative assembly of princes, and then Worms is the name of a German town pronounced Worms. Okay, so he's summoned to this assembly, and guess who's sitting there? The Holy Roman Emperor, Charles V himself. And Luther was asked to recant his writings and his books. In those days, I don't know if you know this about church history, but if you had a dispute with the church, they could take you out back and burn you at the stake. And yet Martin Luther stood up and he boldly said this. Check it out on the screen. Unless I am convinced by the testimony of the, you guys shout out the word. Scriptures. Scriptures. Or clear reason, for I do not trust in the Pope or in the councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradict themselves. I am bound to the, you guys shout out the word. I have quoted and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not retract anything since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. I cannot do otherwise. Here I stand, God help me, amen. Quoted from Eric Metaxas's biography, on the life of Martin Luther. And so he could not recant his beliefs or his books, why? Because to do so would violate his conscience, and ladies and gentlemen, get this, his conscience was crucially connected to the teachings of the word of God. And so with God's help, after the Diet of Worms, what happened? Well, with God's help and the help of a guy named Frederick III of Saxony, who ruled over the area where Martin Luther lived, Martin, was kidnapped, quote unquote, by the good guys, and he was taken to the Wartburg Castle, and he stayed there for 300 days. And the good, good thing about being hiding out in a castle is that during those 300 days, this scholar, he translated the Bible into the common language, the German language, and Reformation, people started getting saved, and Reformation fires began to burn across Europe. It's a fascinating story, you can read all about it in one of his biographies, but Peter says in our text, that, hey, Christian community, you need to have a good conscience, and if we're gonna do that, like Luther, we gotta have a conscience that's crucially connected to the teachings of the word of God. If you're a Christian, can you say amen? amen. That means you're a follower of Christ. That means that we don't just read this book, we live it out. None of us are gonna get, get it perfect. But as we, with the help of the Holy Spirit, live out the word of God, then we're gonna have a clear conscience and that's a beautiful, beautiful gift. And so how do you live an honorable life? Well, you honor Christ by being unified in mind, being sympathetic, being loving and tenderhearted, and humble and good, equipping yourself so that you can speak up and share Christ with other people and defend the Christian faith and then have a conscience that's based on the scriptures and all God's people said.